Good morning, everyone. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and streaming on the web at kpoo.com. I am Nube, your host here at Prison Focus Radio, and I am really grateful to be sharing space with you this morning. Um, I want to say uh, that has been a beautiful, very powerful Black August, and I hope the tenants of um, this this movement, uh, this idea, uh, will stay with you now and throughout the rest of the year and in your life, that you will continue to study and learn more about really what uh, the voices of this revolutionary uh, ideas from prisoners, uh, George Jackson being one of them, but uh, really listening to their voices and understanding what uh, the deeper aspects of what um, status and place prisoners have in this capitalist system. Also continue with your self-care and your self-reflection as well. These things are going to be very important for us moving forward in this movement um, uh, that is taking place here on the streets. So we need to be educated. We need to be well informed. Uh, so keep tuning in to Prison Focus uh, Radio. Um, read the SF Bayview. Go to California Prison Focus and. Um, play around on that website, our website there at www.prisons.org. And there you can find the archives for not only the newspaper, but also Prison Focus Radio and uh, Cage Universal uh, Zine. Just play around at the website. It is awesome. All right. I also want to give a big shout out to everyone that is behind the walls um, and your family. Please stay strong. I know these are still very scary times because CDC Small R continues with their uh, their neglect and their deliberate indifference, regardless of what they are trying to tell the public. We are hearing from you, and we understand that you are, in fact. Um, not being cared for in the way that um, you should be. So um, know that uh, there is a lot of work being done out here. Family members are really getting involved, and we salute you. And of course, as you know, this is your platform to hear your voices. With that said, we are going to get started with the show today, uh, starting with Anthony Robinson Jr. He is going to be sharing with us Uh, his thoughts on his two-year anniversary of being free after spending um, over 20 years um, in California Department of Corrections and Small R Rehabilitation System. So, um, and then we will be hearing from other voices as well, which I'll be introducing throughout the show. So let's get started with Anthony Robinson, Jr., um, I have here with me today, which I'm so excited about, Anthony Robinson Jr. It is so good to be with you. I'm so glad that you connected with me about this uh, very important day that is coming up, um, your two-year celebration of being free. So I would love for you, Anthony, to kind of just set the stage around who you are, Um because I just know you as this just amazing brother who's just, I mean, hit the ground running when you came out and just have been doing beautiful things um, for these in these two years. But I want you to set the stage for the people, let them know who you are, and let's get right into what it is that you want to tell the people. I say, I say. Well, one, I appreciate you for giving me the space and the opportunity to uh, just what I consider continue to build capacity within myself and also within the community. So Anthony Robinson Jr., born and raised in Stockton, California, coming through most of the veins of uh, system involved, system and tactic justice involved, uh, foster care since nine, uh, incarcerated uh, two weeks prior to high school graduation on a 20-plus year sentence. So I'm someone who was forced into a situation to find himself 
without any developmental tools or support in the darkest corridors of level fours mm. was supported through comrades that uh most folks out here to this still day are still blame shifting and thinking that they are monsters but society's monsters were my best intimate teachers so i began to develop myself on level four yards and raise my consciousness one of my prayers soon became if I can get close to finding an equation or a formula that would free my people, then that's what I would strive to live for. So in getting out and being attached to that vision, to that goal, to that dream, I just started doing the work as best as I saw, trying to fit in and trying to uh, show up in spaces where I didn't want to give folks any opportunity to judge my incarceration because I was living beyond me. Like I said, I could have just been satisfied if it was about me going and working at some bank or in some cubicle and just making sure that I stayed out of prison. But I knew from the gate at getting out, it was bigger than me. Right? So I've always showed up in these spaces to let folks know that not only was I prepared and ready for the movement from the Hidden University, that other folks behind me, my mentors, are also prepared and ready to get out here and enjoy some of the same freedoms and also contributed to the movement and make their contributions just the same way I had. So my vision is always don't lay down, don't die down, do not go gently into the night because you have to shine and keep that light going for those folks who are not yet given uh, that opportunity for freedom as well. That is so beautiful. In the context of your vision, how do you see what? How do you see this anniversary coming up for you? What does it look like? It it, it looks like it, it, it's interesting as it sounds, right? All the emotional energies and positive outputs that I feel, and I would assume anyone feels when they listen at the right volume to Sam Cooke's A Change Gonna Come, right? It's one thing for me to live by that song and be influenced by the vibration and just the good uh, spirits that are flowing through and cursing through that song. One of the, the positions that I found myself in when I was inside, I was reading the Bayview. And I would say it was a sativa and the brothers on the corridor in uh, the shoe. And they had put on the platform strategic release. Yeah. And I was, I thought that would bring us a strategic release. I'm like, what, is that, what does that look like? So they had their definition and their, and their analysis, and it was brilliant. But what I found for myself, I started pulling out visions and ideas of like, what would be my strategic release? I'm, even though I have a release date, right? I'm not a lifer. But what would be my strategic release? And what I just thought to do as best as, as my spirit and my intuition led me to was to bring out the lessons. So one of the interesting things about my two-year anniversary is how the time came up on me. Because I wasn't out here tracking uh, one goal to the next. I was just doing the best I could do in the moments that I was given. And God, the, the creator of the universe, uh, my mentor ancestors, they worked out the other math. Right? I was just working like half the work that I've been out here involved with, unless another organization tracked it either through emails, uh, grant uh, deliverables, or pictures. I've either forgotten about it uh, didn't notice it. I really didn't know what was going on in the beginning. But when the date came up, tomorrow will be August 27th. I was released August 27, 2018. And just tracking uh, the things that are achievements and accomplishments, but also those individual mentors that are still inside that I carry in the lesson, right, being nominated by the mayor of Stockton uh, to the grand jury, <laughs> right? I thought that was a, a an achievement. But I also thought it was, was, was interesting 
uh, piece of irony, right, from going to being indicted by a grand jury, right, to 20 years later being nominated, right, to the grand jury, right? So I'm like, okay, they're never going to pick me, but I'm like, it's a good uh, head nod at the mayor. Seemingly was just like, hey, I noticed your work, I see you, right? So, like, mm-hmm. we're going to give you a, a, a shout out, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to participate and transform their climate community. And Rise Stata, which is now a movement uh, in preparing for that planning grant and being in, in, involved in that work, being able to plant uh, nearly 300 trees for free to residents uh, in Stockton and Stocktonian so they could have a better air quality, right? Because Stockton has probably one of the most depressed air qualities in California, let alone the San Joaquin Valley. Just what, recognizing that service. And, and was that... Was that a part of the uh, seeds and cement? Is it seeds and cement or seeds and concrete? Oh yeah, see, see I told you, like, and, and I'll, I'll be forgetting, but yeah, the seeds and concrete uh, program that I was uh, yeah. given the opportunity to create and co-facilitate, it, it came through those opportunities with Cal Granite and uh, Cal Fire. But yeah, but I say in all those opportunities. I miss the scaling because in those moments, I don't make it about me. So when I'm doing the work on behalf of it, folks come a week later or even three days later, like with that level, and I'm like, hey, man, I was just like, like it's really like caught up in the work, really giving myself freely to the moment of the work and just figuring out how I can best be a service. So with the two years right now, we're compiling just as many photos and pictures and all, and that, that becomes a task in itself. Because I have to pull from all these different areas, because along the path, I, I never left a breadcrumb to where I can look back and say, hey, look what I did. Or look, that was me. Or, or right here, that that's one of my accomplishments. It was like, no, like, are the people being served? Are the people being well taken care of? Is their capacity being uh, improved and driven right towards their own visions and goals? So this two years has been... A blessing, but one of the most important lessons to my mind as I realized that, oh, tomorrow is that date. In two years of being out there on parole, I've been able to accomplish 20 years of hopes, prayers, dreams, revelations, etc. right? And for those who've ever been uh, incarcerated or had that experience, one of the things that I'm finding true it's rarely that someone can get out of prison and do everything that he or she said that they were going to do when they were still locked up. So I think this two years is not just a blessing, but as God's uh, nod to like, hey, stay on the straight path. You're doing well. What you've been able to do thus far, we're opening up more opportunities because you're not making it about you. And the only brothers is getting out to their own strategic release, I would hope, uh, as I just formulated my nonprofit, March 17th, incorporated the echo chamber. We just sent off five uh, parole board support letters and positioning for the strategic release, how we can best be a service to those brothers and sisters getting out, whether you're getting out to Stockton or anywhere in the San Joaquin Valley, anywhere in California, hoping to have built those relationships and those connections of wraparound services and support to offer any of the comrades that are getting out towards their own strategic release. All this beautiful work being done really is, in my mind, is also an indictment on the, on the, on the system that uh, really refuses to, to honor that. And so, and it is ironic that you, you get an award from, you know, the, the grand jury, this is the same, <laughs> right. I, you know, because when you get, yeah, but it, it speaks to, uh, obviously, we're not going to go into all of the, the whole system. Let's continue with this beautiful, this beautiful work and congratulations uh, with the, um, you know, the formulation of the echo chamber. And did, did you, you want to speak Thank more you. to that? And, and I, I would love for you to speak uh, also to the strategic release. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the strategic releases. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's such a brilliant program. And mm-hmm. uh, again, like you said, designed 
created and designed by yeah. um, brilliance on the inside. Mm-hmm. And they're still inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think my experience becomes an indictment to anyone who first thought, I remember reading it when it first came out in the, in the San Francisco Fabio. And not everyone was on board, of course, because of the individuals of where it was coming from and how it was uh, positioned. And basically just a revolutionary uh, truth, even in the writing, right? <laughs> you know, we right. everyone had those terms. But my experience is one, and, and brothers and sisters who've, who've gone out and done the same or something similar, right? I'm going to a wedding this Saturday, uh, Carl Robinson or Ube Kool, comrade right I was in Mississippi with. He spent nearly 20 years in prison. He got out in Sacramento and hit the ground running, similar as, as folks would say, my life course or my life story. And he's been out uh, probably three years, about a year before me. He got out before me. Done so okay. well in the work that someone gave him. Now, he, become, he just became the executive director of the Zebra movement, right? So engage him, made him, because they seem like his strategic release also worked. So what I'm saying is my experience, our experience, is an indictment for anyone who ever questioned or tried to criticize or downplay strategic release. Because everything that I've been able to do as a platform, capacity building, as an organizer, as a newly uh, formed uh, executive director, all these things come from the lessons of the comrades and, and the social designs that I sit up on. When I'm reading the Bayview, one thing that I also want to uplift, and I was remiss for not having come to this uh, realization even sooner, but I want to say that we always, I'm always a big proponent that we have to model and really protect our triumphant examples. And California Prison Focus and the Bayview, when they enter those, those, uh, publications, when they enter the facility, they become, for those brothers that utilize them and those sisters that really read them and read through it, they become like college courses or life courses because those are the two, and, and I may be uh, just ignorant of others, but to my mind, those are the two, especially in California, where that prison voice is given a platform in such a genuine and valuable way that we begin to learn and feed off of the brothers and sisters when we read their writings and their uh, analysis and their thinking and their critical. And we also want to aspire and we become motivated by that, right? Like you read the whole baby from front to, to back inside and not in any motivation that I, I would uh, consider walking you towards the MTA and making sure that you're alive, right? Because it's going to be something within those pages, right? mostly written by those folks that are in the same situation as you or that were formerly incarcerated, right? That inspires a spark in you that's like, oh, man, look at that brother good reason. And, oh, I, maybe I can do that. Oh, man, that's right. such a refreshing analysis. I didn't think of it that way. Right? I didn't see my situation. Oh, oh. And then when I began to start writing and getting published in the baby, it was only from that, 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 that platform of growth and welcoming. And the more I read, the more it's like, okay, well, maybe like, okay, I have something to say. Maybe I can contribute as well. Oh, so let me write. When, when folks are getting published in California Prison Focus, and we, that's a contribution. Someone is setting in the cell, one of the most darkest places and environments on the planet Earth, and inspired to make a contribution of light and send it out. And when that thing lands and that thing manifests, not only does that do something for the individual who was published, but it does something for the individuals around them or her and those who are reading the paper. Like if I remember it like, like it was yesterday, one of my most prized moments in Mississippi, in addition to my documentary when in first place at the Austin City Film Festival Award in 2015, one of my most prized moments in there was getting those uh, papers and really seeing it. And at half the times, the police was taking the papers from me because they thought I was a rebel ruser, <laughs> organizer, et cetera, right? So I don't know what their strategy of thinking that if they didn't give me 
the San Francisco Bayview paper that I was published in, no one else would hear about it. But then I started finding that other prisoners would come and give me the paper or give me the news. Hey, brother, you know you published in the San Francisco Bayview? I just read an article that you wrote. And come and chop it up with me on the yard or we had that talk. Or those folks who was reading the articles, they would never even speak to me, but can live and see a welcoming example of pro-social, rehabilitative, conscious living. And say, like, oh, I can aspire to that. Maybe I'm not ready right now. Whatever you're going to, like, it's not for me to judge. But just being the example, that's one of the things that keeps the fire burning out here because I know for a fact that is thousands of brothers and sisters still waiting on my example of success and still rooting for every step along this path, this dark corridor that we have to travel and traverse through, right? So I always have to keep in mind that it's bigger than me. Because for some of us, we have to really come to that recognition. I mean, God forbid, if we drop the ball and fall through and head back, because I've been in that experience, you get so much hope for a brother's success and either doing well, that it becomes one of the most disheartening things on the yard when good brothers that we hoped and prayed that would make it return back to the same yard in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to yeah. spirits broken. That becomes a damper, that, and, and, and it, it, it has ripple effects throughout the yard. So that's another thing that always keeps me consciously moving forward and going. Just that knowing. I've had to continue the strategic release and develop a nonprofit because that was the program, that was the vision, that was the process. Mm. But also I started to recognize and discover what position I was in. Let's see out here now doing COVID. It's not all peaches and uh, cream or cozy as folks would make it a uh, steam. There's challenges, there's real, there's real realities out here. There's things that are unknown unknowns, right? And, and, and trying to navigate as best possible. So for me, and knowing that because I live for the movement, it's not work, it's life. I develop a nonprofit as, as just, just being honest as the best way legally for me, formerly incarcerated, still on parole, black man in these times, right, living in Stockton, <laughs> right, mm-hmm, still right. probably the, the, the most dangerous city in uh, California or America, especially according to Forbes, right, was the best position that I could put myself in so that I could train my community and share with them some of the lessons that I had found. To me, just out there, a black man on parole, trying to develop and train the community and do the same thing that I'm doing as an executive director, right, it, it, it's a more murkier situation. Police are just as soon enough blow my head off, right? Because we know that they're not intentional in, in, in regards to these lessons. But now legally, as an executive director, I can force, create, and, and, and share what it means and put programs in the community, right? And it still may be a challenge. And again, the police can still blow my head off, right? Because that's just what they do. But it's a less likelihood that they can try to frame up or set me up into situation of, oh, just some, with all due respect, some nigga parolee trying to incite a riot or trying to do, like, right? Because, like, I have experience that we all know how they do on the inside. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's the same system. Right. And then also to create uh, an exemplary model or example to give to the people. Like, hey, you don't have to basically continue to look up to these, these cookie-cutter uh leaders and organizers that someone else is putting in front of you well whatever intention or agenda you can basically see someone who come from where you come from who you know who was born and raised in your city who had challenges who've made mistakes who's who stumbled but never fall and be with them just to come to that aha moment like oh if he can do it only two years out of prison and i can do it whether i've been to prison or not and the cold thing, and, and because he's out here and we know his heart, he'll help us do it. <laughs> right? And, and I mean, that's, that's the biggest mm-hmm. lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. capacity building. It's the each one teach one. Mm-hmm. But what is the echo chamber? What does it do? What is, what? Well, you can just put the echo chamber in community-based organization whose mission is to build capacity amongst formerly incarcerated homeless populations, as well as system-impacted communities. Okay. In 
one of the leading models that we are operating is transformative justice. Okay. Transformative justice and also transformative learning. Because what I'm finding, and this is no risk or did to anyone in the movement, but because of the lens, and like you said, because there wasn't enough capacity, I think, built and real intentional offering up at the table, one of the first things I recognize is we are the ones we've been waiting for. And if no one else is going to tell the truth in the moment, no one else is going to use a strategic relief analysis to kind of look at these situations, we come out and we are able to contribute a refreshing lens because we have a lens that, that most folks out here operating don't have. So like I just, I just had a conversation with a brother, uh, that I tell you about earlier regarding uh, a new program using business entrepreneurship and hip hop to give uh, youth those developmental skills and it puts some money in, in, in some folks pockets. Perfect. But I, I'm working with the normal lens of folks who just out, out in society going to day-to-day operations, the lens of someone who has been inside of prison and understood those yard dynamics, had to understand personalities and uh, functions of people, had to understand intent, had to reach and dig and search the heart, and also someone who has survived and come out of that experience. So in real time, on a day-to-day basis, I'm functionally operating with at least three pairs of lens, right? And it becomes my modality to always see what lens best fits the moment to provide and be of best use. Whereas most folks, and it's not like their fault, and I'm not blaming a good, most folks are only afforded to operate through one lens, whether that's just always just being a free citizen, or just being a college, or just being just out in the world, having never been uh, incarcerated. Some of the brothers and sisters who are coming out and getting free and dropping or detaching or from that experience of incarcerating and forgetting or losing or just really ignoring the lessons that they learned. Those lessons of survival, right? Like right. no one, right? And I don't mean no to respect to no one out here, but no one on this planet Earth works on his or herself in a developmental structure more than the person that's been incarcerated. And I was incarcerated for over ten years, so our reach for insight draws and develops so many beautiful lessons that bubble up. So when we get out and, and, and folks are not creating platforms and experiences for informing incarcerated to really uh, get into narrative building and storytelling and helping them share that insight, I think the world is losing out. The world has been missing out. And they're finally recognizing and, and waking up to like, oh, we should allow some folks to come to the table. And like when COVID happened, we prayed, what was the first thing? It was assumed that we were allowed to seat at the table. That people are getting on Zoom calls and folks are uh, soliciting our ideas and they're going through and they, but once the grant money came through, right, it seemed like, like, I mean, I can say maybe just due to my ignorance, but I don't really see much of that going on nowadays as we're uh, uh, several months into the COVID situation, right? So it's like, where do we create a platform of sustainability for those formerly incarcerated voices? That's like the, the prison, this prisoner speaker bureau, such a brilliant idea, right? Because without that engine of insight, we lose out on one-third of perspectives that will offer sustainable solutions to the community. Because, like I say, neither thing the community is more in accord and connected to our experiences of that challenging living, of that ghetto dynamic, or that, like, whatever folks want to call it. So the insight and those lessons that we were able to come to that gave us the ability to transform those experiences, right? To turn a negative into a positive, right? If we're not sharing that or allowed to share that, then it's like, what, what the hell, what, what was the point? <laughs> right? What is the point? God, you know, um, Anthony, um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you for being so eloquent in, um, in, in expressing that. And I want to make sure that we, um, we get together again and that's what we want to highlight. So I want, um, so I would love for you to just close out quickly and, and I'm just going to let the people know that this is an introduction to more conversation 
So just, you know, the last words, and we'll get back to it at another time. Exactly. Well, I say just reiterating, we are the ones that we've been waiting for because we've developed and opened up our insights. So to the brothers and sisters that are still on the inside, mustering their courage to face themselves and to be able to tell their life story and their journey, I'm here coming from the other side of freedom, right, still connected to your freedom, whether you have it in the hand or not, I'm here to let you know it. continue to do what you're doing, continue to put on those countless hours of work in the law library, in this prison chapel, in whatever facilitating group that you are in, because the prisoner, if you use your time wisely, then your time will serve you wisely. Ashe. Ashe. Thank you, Anthony Robinson, Jr. Um, it's always a delight to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to take a quick musical break with Can't Stop Me by Kev Choice featuring Jen Johns. And then we are going to be hearing from Paul Red. He was recently freed after 44 years, having spent 30 of those years in solitary confinement. I'ma still sing my song, I'ma still shine my light, can't stop me. You can't stop me, no. I'ma still sing my song, I'ma still shine my light, you can't stop me. They said we locked down, okay, I'm going in my bag, gonna be a B-sharp in the skills, working on the craft. Transported the lab to the living room, sheltered in place. I'll be compelled to create, might catch me singing old Tony, Tony, Tony Off the balcony, like in Italy, where my neighbors going viral Mode survival, got the vitals, stock the cupboards Grocery store was on some other, so alarming Feeling shopping carts and fighting over Charmin I'm looking for the vitamins, I'm not a scientist But if we would've listened to Larry Brilliant, we wouldn't be in this predicament No more hugs or handshakes or fists, we bumping elbows Coughing the public, damn near criminals, side eyes and smirks How we gon' pay rent, can't work, all my musician homies out here, pockets is Hurt. They can bail out Wall Street with over one trillion I'm trying to figure out how to stretch that 1200 Congress need to put a stop to all the rent and mortgage Put our heads together, we can manifest abundance Come on I'ma still sing my song Chris Rochelle had him at liege. Let's support our people no matter prestige. Hard times when you got mouths to feed and the gigs canceled. Time to get innovative. We can't sit idle. Every night I go IG live on the piano and it's helpful. Made a little something on the Venmo. Told my daughter stay productive. Now she conducting workouts on Zoom or walking bucket. I'm about to start online lessons, private instruction. In the face of adversity, seize the moment. Maybe this a time of reflection, connection to self and family and health and God and heart and soul and dreams or sit still and just be whatever help you feel free come on i'ma still sing my song i gotta shine my light you can't stop me oh i must sing my song i must shine my light you can't stop me oh yes indeed we are now going to hear an excerpt of a conversation i had with paul red he has uh, just been recently uh, freed. He spent 44 years um, caged and 30, 30 of those years in the torture of solitary confinement. He is one of the principal thinkers and signers of the Agreement to End Hostilities. You're going to have to stay with us over these next few weeks so that you can hear this conversation in full. But here we go with Paul Red, our first part of our conversation. 
see what I'm saying? In the in the San Quentin prison law office, uh, we used to write them. I even write them. I used to go get them for a year. But in the San Quentin law office, for a number of years, uh, we was writing them, telling them about the conditions that we was experienced in in prison. They would not uh, help us with a lawsuit. As soon as we went on the first hunger strike. Some way Donald Spectrum came, they let him all the way inside the shoe to pull me out, pull Sitao out, to talk to us about, um, you know, uh, CDC officials got at us. Um, you know, won't you uh, guys go ahead and come off the hunger strike and let us see if we can talk to them about what y'all grievances is, right? This the prison law office. Yeah. yeah. Donald Spectrum. Yeah. Right. So they're, yeah. So they're basically colluding with your oppressors. Exactly. I mean, oh man, yeah. yeah. Then now we, mm -hmm. hey, we already had class action lawsuit attorneys, right? Mm -hmm. We on right. we, we on we, we on that second and third hunger strike. Right. Them people, San Quentin lawyers, went behind our back, went to Del Norte Superior Court to get a court order to force feed us. Oh man. Man, we found out about that, man. We went 1368, told them people don't never come up here uh, to see us, to call us out. Don't even, they come up, a few of them come up to apologize, said they was wrong for doing what they was doing. Wow. You know, here I'll it tell is. you, though, it's, yeah. it's a good thing it was you and Satawa, though. Because right. some other people might have buckled, which is so sickening. <laughs> exactly. You know, but it's, it's sad that, uh, you know, they, they are opportunists. Yes, absolutely. When they started off, you know, they started off in, you know, in the, in the 60s, early 70s. It was all four prisoners' rights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But once once those rights, prisoners' rights, got gutted by, um, what's that governor's name? Uh, was it Wilson? Pete Wilson. Wilson, yes, Wilson. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Pete Wilson for all our prisoners' rights. Mm-hmm, right. Totally good, right. So he made it hard for us to get anything going. So right. a lot of attorneys start seeing it was it was it was kind of hard for them to uh, you know win any money judgments large enough that prisoners could be happy and they could be happy. So they kind of like saying, "Hey, man, you know, the politicians is making it hard for us." To represent you guys, so therefore we kind of like easing up on these prison uh, cases. Well, wow! Like that is so. That's just so, such a lack of integrity. It's like, right. oh, so when the going gets tough, I mean, how how cliche? When the going gets tough, right. the tough get going. But you all just crumble because right. it's going to be too hard, and you may not get paid. Like really? Right. So do you care about human rights, or do you not? Obviously, you don't care. That's why. That's why I'm saying right now with the climate, everything going on out here in this communities, in these other states, with all this killing the cops, the cops killing, and all this here, it's time for us to put pressure on them law firms and say, man, you guys getting billions of dollars, and at a certain time, you guys have to do a lot of pro bono work in order for uh, to, to meet your little quota within the system that y'all work at. But so it's time for us to start sending, you know, how we used to say, let's start sending uh, 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 Kern and all these people, these emails demanding that they start releasing people in the shoe. We yeah. need to start sending all these emails to these damn law firms and telling them, hey, man, you guys need to step up. And do some and pro bono work. And do some pro bono and come to these prisons, a in these prisons behind this COVID nineteen and file a a major lawsuit. Cause if they file a major lawsuit, number one, you gonna win because the governor already admitted that they was wrong for uh for making these mass transfers. So you gonna win, you know what I'm saying? But what you gonna do? You gonna make them be held accountable? Now here it is is. Ralph Diaz trying to slide out because he see it coming. Mm -hmm. he see of course, it coming. of course. He so doesn't want to be 
Right. He's in the league with all his benefits, his retired mm-hmm. benefits, his mm-hmm. old package. But now the, the, the woman that they're bringing in, she's a real piece of work. I, I know who she is. Mm-hmm. We have dealt with her long before the hunger strike. And oh, that's when, right. she, was, okay. when she was part of um, uh, a CDC regulation. I remember one time, in the, uh, I think it was in the early 90s. No, no. It was in around 2003. A case came out, and it was in the Sacramento uh, B newspaper. It said 33,000 prisoners has been incorrectly sentenced, and CDC had to release 33,000 prisoners. So she she was interviewed because they made a they made an error on calculating people times, right? Mm-hmm. So. She was asked during the interview, I never forget the, I had the news clip, I never forget the article. They asked her, she said, well, we don't have enough personnel uh, to go through 33,000 prisoners filed to correct, to make these corrections. So if prisoners want uh, their, their, their time, they have to file their individual writ of habeas corpus. Other than that, we're not going to do it for them. Oh, wow. What a exactly. what a her, what's exactly. her name Kathleen Allison or something Allison Allison mm-hmm. and she yeah. she has been she has even appeared on our our um, validation uh, uh, documents out of when it comes to Sacramento when they send a, the validation package to uh, uh, SSU number Sacramento oh right. She, she signs off on a lot of stuff. Her name's on a few of mine, you know? I, I remember you saying that, so, yeah. Yeah, see, we've, mm-hmm. we've been dealing with her for years, but here's the catcher. Now, in order, she might take Dia's place, but she has to be confirmed by the Senate. Oh, oh really? Now, yeah, she just oh. can't take it over. She can she can temporarily fill in, but she still got to go through them politicians for them to confirm her for that spot. Ah, now so we we if, have a moment here. We got a moment because if we get the necessary uh, uh, voters and all them to start sending emails like they did with um with a uh, Montez, mm-hmm. they can. We can boot her up out of there. They won't confirm because my test was on my parole board. And before she was on my parole board, she had already publicly, when they started releasing us from the shoe, right? She publicly went to the news media and all of them and said, hey, any prisoner who come out of Pelican Bay shoe, I would not find them suitable for parole until they debrief. So when that was said, our mediation team, uh, lifers, uh, 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 lifers uh, alliance uh, support support lines in the Rancho Cordova, mm-hmm. them and a number of little organizations start going public. They start getting at them politicians in Sacramento, talking about her, raising their concern about her, and as a result of so many people. Uh, making noise about her. The person who was in the legislation, the little senator, they went to her and said, hey, you know what? It's best that you just go ahead and retire because this uh, committee here to be reaffirmed, you know? So, again, when that happened, she resigned. But just guess when she resigned? She retired. She retired the next day after she found me, and she denied me parole for three years. God, after how many parole denials did you already have by then? That was a uh, that was that was my fourteenth. Fourteenth parole denial. That's right. So the day I went to my parole here, she sat mm-hmm. there, knowing she was retiring tomorrow. Right. And, and knowing, gave, yeah, and she gave me a three-year denial, and the next day she retired. And yeah, and just because she school. could, right? And yeah. it's not like, you know, because after that, that's, so that was the 14th parole denial. And simply because 
you didn't debrief. It had nothing to do with anything. Exactly. And not only that, to make the, the matter stuff, she say, you know what, Mr. Red? She say, you know, we should find you suitable. Unfortunately, you haven't went through our LTOP programs um, by a, a certified staff who we feel comfortable uh, that if he gave you a, a, a certificate, we're comfortable that we can uh, release you back to society. I said, well, I've been on a waiting list because the, line, the list is so long, you know? And then she told me, she said, you know, uh, you know, they gave you a high risk assessment. And based on your high risk assessment, uh, it should have been, you should have uh, got a moderate or a low because they didn't take in consideration that you was 18 at the time, your youth factors. Now, you sit up here stating this to me, you know that the site didn't do that. So you should have postponed this hearing, referred me back for another psych evaluation to take in consideration my youth factor. But no, you went on and held my hearing anyway, knowing that the psych assessment was in error. Right, right. Right, that's, I mean, what do we call that? Cruel and unusual punishment? Well, Deliberate indifference? Of slavery. Exactly. I mean, exactly. you can call it every one of those what, things. Yeah, you can call it all that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what you call racism? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. A denial of a fair and impartial hearing. I mean, how mm -hmm. can I have a fair and impartial hearing? You used to be the warden in Salado. All right, be sure to tune in next week um, as we continue our conversation with Paul Red. Now, I'd like to give you a bit of uh, news. This is a tweet that I got from theappeal.org. That's T-H-E-A-P-P-E-A-L.org. The tweet is, across the country, prosecutors are using gang enhancement laws to target people participating in protests of police brutality sometimes with crimes that carry sentences of up to life in prison. Let's just connect the dots with the over-sentencing and the what's called mass incarceration that's taking place within our country when you consider this. Protest is being criminalized. It's been criminalized since slavery. Um, and so please take this into account, um, what is really taking place on the streets and how it relates to uh, the many people like Paul Red who spent 44 years in prison, okay? All right, the next thing I want to bring to your attention is a bit of history um, on this day, Thursday, September 3rd in 1901, Alabama adopts racist new state constitution that seeks to legalize white supremacy, prohibits interracial marriage, and mandates separate schools for black and white children. Okay, I'm sorry, that just wasn't very long ago, and we're seeing the ramifications of that to this day. I got that little tidbit of information from the Equal Justice Initiative calendar. If you don't have it, get it next year. It is um, definitely worth while. And next, we're going to hear an excerpt of a call that I got from Imwalimu. Hi, Imwalimu. Hi, how are you doing? Sorry I couldn't call earlier. Uh, there were no phone slots available, so they signed me up for the later afternoon calls. It's, uh, um, you're always trying to find a way to make things work from behind this wall. It's frustrating and difficult, but as long as our loved ones out there, as long as you all understand, then we can always find common ground and make it happen. And uh, 10 times out of 10, we usually do. <laughs> you know, we need to be following your lead because you have you have wisdom and experience um, that is, is crucial to our moving forward, you know, in this movement. So we need to make sure that we hear your voices. I wanted to ask you something, Emilimo. You know, you you have support out here, right? And and of course, that support 
um, you know, theoretically speaking, of course. This call and or telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Is extended to, well, that support is, of course, extended to all, to everyone inside, right? Yeah. But yeah. How, are yeah. these guys, how are these guys doing in there? Well, the majority of, of the comrades, we all have, some of us have shared resources, and that's why you know, you know a few of them yourself personally. So, yeah, we have shared resources. We talk to um, uh, some of the same sisters, some of the same advocates, some of the same organizations. We might talk to different members from those organizations, but that's our work. You know, that's, that is our body of work to communicate with the people from the community. And right. If I ever make contact with somebody from an organization, I'll spread their work with the comrades in here, and they might attack certain things that I'm not attacking just to spread it out so that we'll all be working in unison with that same organization. And we share our resources in here. So, yeah, pretty much everybody has somebody to talk to, um, has somebody to write and network with. Some people's talents is in writing. Some of it is just mainly educating um, some talents is exercising, some is drawing, you know, artwork and things like that. So it just depends. Some people have different ways of doing different things. You know, it's like I told one of the sisters one time when I gave her uh, a few of the comrades' addresses when they were in the in Tuttle Bay and I was here in Corcoran, and she was surprised that we all knew each other. I said, well, we're all from the same organization. <laughs> There's no way we can't. <laughs> right. Or to grow through those steps, you have to meet people and talk to people. <laughs> you learn how to do the work because they're the ones who bring Absolutely. You guys are in there organizing and networking on your own. I mean, and that's the thing that people don't understand out here. I think mostly it was a rhetorical question, and I want them to be able to hear from you that work that you're doing. So, yeah, that organizing and networking and educating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And trust me, I do understand. Um, The work's mainly what, 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 um, what my talent is, is the education, re-education comes naturally to me because when I was getting re-educated, I went through it so smoothly because I asked the right questions, I studied the right material, and they showed, they seen that it was, it was being applied in my practice. So then when it came to program building, having a, a, a genuine understanding and love for the people, understanding their needs, wanting to meet their needs, the program building comes easily as well because you, you shape a program around the needs of the people. You just spread and brainstorm those ideas. And whenever I need help with anything, the elders that educated me, I can always reach out to them and say, hey, help me out with this. You know, it's, it's once you get into the practice of doing things and you learn what to do, it becomes second nature, and it's so time-consuming that you lose interest in a lot of the other things that you should naturally lose interest with when you make the revolutionary trans- transformation because it's a mental transformation, you know. Mm. So, um, it, you know, it, it's not—it's nothing is hard for us to do. You know, it's just basically having the will, having the know-how, having the help and the support, and just making it happen. You know what I mean? And like I said, yeah. we share resources, so it's a lot easier, especially when we can get our loved ones involved, you know, and educate them on the importance of organizing or being activists, you know, or talking to attorneys or what, whatever the case may be, you know. It's like um, when George died, that, that took, that took a, a, a toll on a lot of the new Africans in all these other states and in federal prisons. So they organized around that because they, they realized when he was still here, they were already doing it. And it was of paramount importance because they could be next. So then you had the Attica uprising. Then you had the Walpole and uh, Massachusetts uprising and so on and so forth based on understanding what we're up against. You know, so when you incarcerated the Panthers and the BLA members in federal prisons and in state prisons, you didn't incarcerate their spirit. You allowed it to thrive and flourish from generation to generation to generation. Yes, yes, Emilimu. Um, I encourage all of you to uh, check me out on uh, Facebook Live Fridays on the California Prison Focus Facebook page so you can hear more of Emilimu and other voices from the inside and outside. Now we are going to hear our weekly Prison Focus mailbox. Dear CPF, Hello. As always, I hope this letter finds you in good health and spirit. Things seemed to be easing up a bit here for a minute as far as the COVID-19 outbreak was going. 
but it appears it may be firing back up once again. Last week, a free staff supervisor in the PIA furniture factory was telling some of the inmate workers about the symptoms he was having yesterday. When the PIA workers went to work, they all got sent back to their housing units. They were told there was no work. As it turns out, a supervisor in the factory tested positive, so they shut things down. There are several problems with this scenario as I see it, but the one that really floored me this morning was all the PIA workers who got up and got dressed for work this morning and then got mad when they found out there was no work. This jackass supervisor kept coming to work knowing he had symptoms, exposing everyone once again, and they aren't upset about that at all. This guy should be fired at the very least and held responsible for the illness and possible death he's once again exposed us to. There are also new inmate cases on two other yards here, apparently also in a PIA facility on one of the yards and some kitchen workers on the other. The rumor is they're going to test us all again. Another question that's bothered me since all of this started is what is so essential about the PIA furniture factory anyway? Other than the obvious fact that it generates millions of dollars, why is everything in here shut down, but they always find a way to keep making furniture? I don't get it. I'm sure there are furniture factories out there on the streets that are shut down, some possibly closed down for good because of the pandemic, but this place runs on. As I sit in the day room writing this, I'm looking at one of the housing unit officers showing up in here for the second day in a row, working his shift with no mask. Same thing in the chow hall, a cop standing four feet from us as we pick up our breakfast tray, yelling at inmates to take your hat off while not wearing a mask. It's a minority of officers that do this, but it only takes one, and they don't seem to have, have to answer to anyone for this behavior. I tested negative. I haven't been sick and don't have symptoms, but you won't see me without my mask unless I'm eating, drinking, or on my bunk. I know the mask that we were given offers little, if any, protection to me, but I wear it because I couldn't live with myself if I got someone else sick or worse. Anyway, sorry for the bit of a rant. You guys stay safe. With love and respect, James. Avenal State Prison, June 18th, 2020. This behavior from prison guards, as you know, is currently happening today. And this is also a clear indication of prison slavery. So I encourage all of you to go to the California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org. There you can um, see the archives for Prison Focus Mailbox, archives for the Prison Focus uh, newspaper, and also the archives for Prison Focus Radio. You'll get a lot of information there to keep yourselves informed. Please make a donation if you can. Uh, to California Prison Focus so that we can continue to get these voices out about what's really taking place behind the prison walls. Lastly, I want to announce that my loved one, Comrade Malik, uh, Keith Malik Washington, will be, I will be picking him up from the airport today. So he will be free after 13 years and coming to the Bay Area to start his training to become the editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. Welcome home, my love. All right, that's our show. Continue to take care of yourselves and each other. Continue to act in unity and continue the fight for our humanity. Up next is Steve Seltzer with Workweek. Mm-hmm.